Will the FPL season ever finish? Hello FPL Surgery listeners, last week we went over game weeks 1 to 15 and this week we will be concentrating on game weeks 15 to 29. We'll be looking over the volume of stats that are a sure sign for FPL points during that period, uh, the dream team from 15 to 29 and we'll go back again on the Iceman's quiz. Okay, welcome back listeners to the 167th episode of the FPL Surgery Podcast. Recording on Tuesday the 23rd of March 2020. Iceman here again with my co-host Stefan Hawksrod. What have you been doing to pass the time then, Stefan? Maybe you can advise to the listeners. Uh, well, I've been out a lot. Uh, I've been jogging some, but I, but I got this cough uh, lately, so I've been toning down my jog in case I got this uh, this virus. I don't, I don't think it's a cold, but I toned down the running a bit. But I've been. Uh, you can enjoying... only go once. You can only jog once, apparently. Not in Norway. Oh, really? We are advised to just go out as much as we can, as long as we keep distance to others. Oh, and okay. the thing is, where I live, it's not that uh, <laughs> it's not that difficult to keep distance. When I'm out running in the woods, I typically meet like three or four persons during a run, so it's not that crowded. Other than that, uh, I'm trying to get my, my son to play football, and I'm getting, uh, I think he's uh, getting along now. How old is your he son? More, uh, eight. eight. So he has been playing for a while, but hasn't been that interested, but now I feel that I got something going. What, what, uh, what his, position uh, were you? Control. What position were you when you played? Oh, do you still play? Uh, I still play like uh, with my uh, company, very uh, oh, yeah. completely. Lost the touch, I think, after some years off. Mm. I used to, I used to play as a striker, I f- winger. I felt like, like you were left winger. Are you a left winger? Yeah, uh, but ah. I wasn't left. I was right legged, so I was like the first. Uh, what you call it? Uh, you, you were like a, you were Sterling, yeah, but better. Yeah, except, except yeah. like maybe one tenth uh, of his pace. <laughs> <or something. Yeah. laughs> That's the thing that goes first when you start playing again when you're older. You're yeah. basically you you, you 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 realize you can't run anymore. Yeah, you think you, you can. Well, you are ancient, so yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, as mentioned last week, we looked at game weeks one to fifteen. So this week's pod will be game weeks fifteen to twenty nine, and this week's guest is another regular on the FPL surgery. He runs his own successful FPL YouTube channel with fourteen thousand subscribers, and he has four top twenty k finishes within the last four years. Welcome back to the podcast, JNO from FPL to. Day. Thank you for having me. Pleasure oh, being back. Oh, nice to have you back, mate. Nice to have you back. Were you ever a footballer? Have you played football? Uh, yeah, I actually had a somewhat successful teenage career. S- centre back. You're a centre back, yeah? Uh, mate, I, I played a lot of positions. I started off as a striker, went to right wing, uh, went to right back, and then ended up in goal. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Literally played everywhere. Nice. Yeah, pretty much. Nice. Pretty much. How, how are you getting on this season? Uh, in FPL, I'm glad we're actually covering 15 to 29 because uh, me covering 1 to 15 would have been pretty embarrassing. <laughs> Not good in those periods, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so where, where are you at at the moment overall? Uh, at the moment, I am currently around the 200k mark, I think just over it. 
Yeah. Uh, 246k. Oh, so steady, not great, but steady, but still better than me. Mate, I was I was 2.5 <laughs> million around game week 10, so I'll take it. Yeah, I'll yeah, take it. yeah, I think I would again. Yeah, I think I would. Again, like last week, we're not going to discuss what is going to happen with the Premier League, when it will actually be back or anything. Uh, we'll quickly talk about Patreon, though, just to announce again, we won't be charging for the month of April and onwards until football actually comes back. Okay, we'll, we'll go back to the FPL headlines then. So, so game- James, I have one thing I want to get yeah. out there, my own theory mm-hmm. I've been thinking about regarding the FPL game in the midst of this crisis. Okay. And what I'm thinking after reading the statements from the FPL uh, game with the postponements and the thing that they didn't pause the game and just keep the game wings running, I think they will struggle to get any games done by the game week 20, uh, 38. Yeah. Because that's A17th and by the looks of it in Britain, you guys will have a lot of problems two weeks from now, and that will be the middle of April, almost middle of April. And to think that the games will start again by May 17th, I have my doubts. And after that, I'm in. I'm a software engineer at my day job. Given that they didn't pause the game for Game Week 30, that really made made me stop for pause because I think there's no reason not to stop the game if you could. So I think they're just not capable of doing it. Or they, more realistically, they have no funding. Yeah. And watch, watching the games for the last few years, I think it's barely any changes. There come some new chips, but I really don't see a lot of investment in the game. Like we still have to wait for one hour for the game to update after a deadline. The leagues can update like in several hours. It just doesn't seem to me like they put much money into it. Yeah. And if they don't do that, they won't have any money to rewrite the game to accommodate for game weeks after 38. I Sounds think, like it all needs to be rewritten, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that something needs to be rewritten. Not not a lot, maybe, but something. And given that I didn't bother to stop the game by gaming 30, I really don't think they going to do that. So I think if they can't get it started until May 17th, I think the game, not the Premier League, but the game will just end there. That's my theory. So we can see if it's true or if it's... Uh, yeah, yeah so it's a sound theory. Look forward to seeing what happens. Okay, back to the FPO headlines then. Game weeks 15 to 29. We're mainly going to concentrate on them for this podcast rather than Emma's enema. Uh, so the league back through that period was obviously Liverpool finished top through that period and Aston Villa were actually bottom only on 10 points, joint bottom with Norwich. What do you guys remember about these game weeks? Jane, I'm going to come to you first on this. Yeah, so I mean, for me, this game week period was more more fun for me. I know we had the Christmas period in where we had a lot of fixtures very close to each other. Yeah. And that was quite a successful period for me. The one thing that really sticks to my mind, though, is the downfall of Jamie Vardy. Mm. Um, before <clears throat> this period, he was pretty much on fire. I think maybe at the beginning of this period, he was on fire too. And then the Christmas period hit, uh, Babygate happened, mm. and literally Vardy's like returns just kind of fell off a cliff and I think really Leicester as a team's returns kind of also went a bit downhill and they were really a team that I was looking at to get a lot of my points from so that's the thing that really jumped to my mind first of all Uh, of course there was quite a few manager changes as well around this period Um, we had some short manager bounces Spurs is the one that springs to mind there 
Um, I think Deli Ali definitely looked like a very good prospect at that period as well. Yeah, towards the end of uh, game week 15 is what I mentioned last week. He was like, I had a purple patch, didn't he, thanks to Jose, but then that soon died. Yeah, also Chelsea, I think, another side that we saw a lot of promise in a lot of their players, and then it all seemed to uh, tail dive a bit. But speaking of Chelsea and Leicester, two exceptions to that would probably be Harvey Barnes and uh, Villian. 61 points for Villian and 64 points for Harvey Barnes, both with some good returns. And I think a lot of it went a bit unnoticed with Willian at Chelsea. Uh, but then, of course, budget options as well. Everton, Watford, Southampton all had some assets come to the forefront for periods. You had the likes of Ings, Deeney, Saar, Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin with Ancelotti coming in at Everton. So a bit of a mixed bag with uh, a lot of the people I was expecting to do well kind of falling off a cliff a bit and some new prospects coming in. And I think it was a period where you really had to react and bring in the right players at the right time. Yeah, I agree with that. Stefan, what are your thoughts on those game weeks? Yeah, I think it's a big shift like in the in the striker section where Calvert-Lewin exploded after, I think it was for his first game with Ancelotti in game week 16, yeah. where he got a brace against Chelsea and he never looked back after that. That started his good run of, what is it, 10 goals since game week uh, 15? Yeah, yeah, 10 goals. So if you could <laughs> transfer out Tammy Abraham, who just only three goals after game week 15, you would have done well. But these things are pretty hard to, to watch, uh, hard to figure out what's going to happen, of course. Especially with Tammy Abraham, how he just <coughs> hit off. And also, my popular pick and my first hit of the season, which <laughs> started hmm. bad hits, uh, Christian Pulisic. He was like... He fell off a cliff, didn't he? I yeah. think we all fell for that trap. Yeah. I think we all went yeah. for Pulisic. He just looked so good. And I remember reading a Stats Bomb article where some guy just compared his numbers and said, OK, this guy is the next big thing. He just has incredible stats. He has incredible everything. And he's going to explode. And he just I brought him in for a hit and he just fell silent like a rock. And then he got injured and never came back, yeah. Yeah, I actually did what I usually do with Pulisic. I actually predicted that he wouldn't keep those numbers up. And then, of course, he did it for a couple more game weeks. And I didn't listen to my own advice, brought him in. And then it fell off yeah. a cliff. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember exactly which game week uh, he looked so incredibly necessary in my team. But I think it was around, I think it was around 15, G- 16 or something. Game week 10 is when he kind of announced himself with a hat-trick. Then he scored again. Then game week 11, game week 12, another goal. But after that, he not returned since. And then he got injured. Didn't bring him in for a Manchester City away in game week 13. But after that, they had West Ham, Aston Villa, Everton, Bournemouth. So you would suspect it was a good time to bring him in. But he didn't do yeah. anything. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I, I, what my fondest memory of this, the start of this period was I kept faith in my double Liverpool defence. I brought in the double Liverpool defence again yeah. and they started up those clean sheets. So I, I never I never jumped on uh, Calvert-Lewin and I, I spent my transfers on Pulisic instead. Even though I didn't get guys like him or even Harvey Barnes, I think the Liverpool defence kept me afloat for a while. That actually nicely segues on to what I I looked back and found out what actually happened just each game week, just kind of recorded what went on. And Robertson and TA went 
They were they were top to have scored over five points a game. Seventeen times they scored over five points a game this season, according to FPL statistics. And TAA scored, I think he scored twenty four points. So he got the three assists and a goal when Liverpool beat Leicester four nil away from home. Uh, Ismail Assar announced himself on the scene. Alonso came back for one game week in game week eighteen, scored eleven points, and then didn't play until game week twenty seven. And then he scored an eight. 16 and a 6 meaning that he had a points per game during that period of 10.25 that's quite amazing when you look at it like that and he also had a good start to the season as well you could almost say he's rotation proof Alonso yeah yeah, he might not start for like a lot of game weeks but then when he does he makes up for it yeah 10.25 points per game not bad also we had Abraham he didn't return the double digit score during this period and not he didn't again for the rest of the season. Ancelotti, as we mentioned, appointed the manager of Everton and he developed Dominic Calvert-Lewin into a top striker with him getting three of his... He only got three double-digit returns though, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but it was quite consistent, just getting the odd goal here and there. Uh, Ryan and Brighton only returned two clean sheets during this period, whereas they had four in the previous 15 game weeks. KDB scored two goals in the game and that was the first time in his Premier League career that he's ever scored two goals in a game. Pepe, he got his first attacking returns. Jimenez started being Mr. Consistent again. Reese James had us thinking about him. Brandon Williams did the same as young English talent excited the English. Son got sent off for the second time and then injured for the rest of the season. Ings was the best option since sliced bread. And then he blanked for only three Mm. game weeks, scored one, and then blanked for another three. And everyone's looking at removing. Leicester, they went downhill, so Tillemans decided not to become an asset anymore. Salah start to show us why he is currently the highest all-time FPL scorer in history with five double-digit returns making him the highest points earner in FPL this season. Mane also got injured exactly the wrong time for triple captainers. Pope went through a period where he was a must-have considering a lot was ditching him. Rico lost his starting place towards the end. Uh, as you mentioned, Pulisic fell off a cliff. Kane died. Fabianski came back from injury, returned for two games, and then had no difference to West Ham's awful defence for the rest of them. Grealish became a consistent returner and then tailed off towards the end. Lundstrom lost his starting place, but somehow kept scoring points. Jota started scoring goals again. Bolly was the best defensive option for Wolves. No, it was Sice. No, it was Doherty. Bruno Fernandes became the highest points earner per 90 as he burst on the scene. David Moyes took over at West Ham and Arsenal appointed a tetter. So a lot went on during those game weeks. It's good to kind of look back and think, well, all that happened. I bet you experienced at least one or two of those, JNO. Well, I actually had quite a few of those that you mentioned also written down. I had the Pope Exodus. Yeah. I quite enjoyed that because I stuck with him because I thought, you know what? I've always done this whole change keepers because of fixtures. Yeah. And it's just an issue. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to leave it on Pope. I trust Pope as a goalkeeper. Finn Burnley are capable of clean sheets. And then suddenly, while everyone had got off, he started really returning points. And there were some game weeks where the points return for most players was quite low. And then Pope would come in with like 10 points. And I'd be like... Thank you, Pope. Saving. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, Wolves. A lot of Wolves players that you mentioned there. Uh, Traore was one that had a very small purple patch, which I managed to get. Then I got off of him as everyone was getting on him. 
and then he still had a good return against someone, and I brought him back in, and then I've still got him, and he's he's not done much since. Huh. Uh, Ali starting, but yeah, a lot of what you said I had uh, written down as well, just in case we're going to go into a bit more. Yeah, anything which you experienced from those, Stefan? Did you 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 had Pope at one point? I know you got rid. Yeah, I learned the hard way, and uh, I think I think it's. Uh, it's good for those who stayed on them, but at the same time, if guys had that extra available free transfer, like I found myself with, I don't think I can blame myself too much for getting rid of Pope before his tough matches. It's a bit fortunate for those who kept him, of course, I think, because penalty save, that clean shit against United. Did he do something clean shit against Arsenal as well, didn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I <laughs> that. The thing is, that's not likely to happen all those games in a row, and you could even argue that after his uh, terrible game against Chelsea away and his soft goal, which he let in against Barnes against uh, Leicester, had he not saved the penalty from Vardy, it wouldn't been a great shock if Joe Hart got a game, I think. What so, do you reckon? Oh, so things can turn just uh, yeah, on a game I'm, I'm not sure, of course, but he had some really awful games running leading up to those pictures but then he of course turned everything around and i think i will do the same as jno next season whenever that may be yeah and close my eyes i tried to do it this season (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i think i I have it in my notes just just don't bother about the keeper spend 8.5 million on the goalkeepers and just leave it be time to switch the keepers but you get so it really tears tears on your it gets in your head. Yeah. You watch those games and you see those clips and it's just like ah, oh, one shot against one goal. Okay, two shots against one goal. It's just annoying to see those two pointers, one pointers coming. Yeah. yeah. So you feel the need to do something. Which is why I think it's better to... I know, say, um, I think last pod, Doug mentioned that Krull would have been the best choice, but he got like two penalty saves in one game, and that's just not predictable. Which is why I like to choose the teams, which are like middling table teams, which are potential of clean sheets. Like Swansea a long time ago, I know a friend of mine picked three of Swansea's players, and he just shot right up, because they just kept like the odd clean sheet every other week. Just choosing a team like that, which have potential of clean sheets is a goer but not the likes of Norwich and West Ham and Aston Villa who don't look like they're keeping any clean sheets at the moment do you know what I mean not to not to bash on your West Ham by the way Jay, no, I'm not, <laughs> I've, I've mentioned them a few times uh, mate, bash of defence is shocking yeah. you might be lucky that the season's finished actually <laughs> Why do you think Karen Brady's pushing for it to be? <laughs> She's got so much power that might happen. <laughs> I think it's a good lesson again, just with the goalkeepers. It's easy to say it could have turned out well selling Pope, but usually these things come back and haunt you because it's likely you would have done more with the free transfer somewhere else than with your 4.5 goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, I've got an affinity for Burnley goalkeepers, so that probably really helped me stay on them as well. Just something about Burnley and their capability of doing, like keeping clean sheets when people don't expect them to. Yeah. It seems to be quite good, like Heaton before him. So, yeah, I just have an affinity for Burnley goalkeepers, I think. So that helped me not transfer him out. It's a bit tough, though, when, when you watch those in game 15 and 16, when I let in four against Manchester City at home <laughs> and then lost 5 0 against Tottenham away. Yeah. At that point, I was like, why am I bothering with this goalkeeper? <laughs> Zero points. 
five goals conceded, nine goals conceded in two games. But it shows how recency bias really does take over, whereas yeah. the long term, yeah. like JNO kept it, really helped him. <laughs> and, and I think also you talked about your overall rank, JNO, and I was like, like you said, I was like almost two million at Game Week 10. And when you add in these things that you're doing horrible, you're not satisfied with your rank, you're not satisfied with your red arrows, you're not satisfied with anything. Like in Game Week 14-15, where I had um, Pope in goal, I was looking at two red arrows, and then three red arrows. And when these things happen, you, you just think, oh, I need to do something, and I'm sick of this guy getting zero points. And I think that's the main trap for me with, with, with regards to Pope. You just get, uh, as, as I said before, I think I, I'm tilting a bit, hmm. like in poker. Not making good calls because I force I want to force things to go and happen. Yeah, yeah. I totally, totally understand what you're talking about there. It's happened to many of us, Jano included, I'm sure, as well. Um, yeah, the, definitely. Uh, so one thing which I noticed, which I listed there, is... Re- a lot of people were looking at Reese James and Brandon Williams and those players, which you know were just on the cusp of getting into the team, and then shortly after they they keep their place for what another two games, then they lose it. So those types of players, I've never liked to go for. I mean, like as a last bench option, then maybe like you know Brandon Williams and Reese James have both scored quite good points at some points during the season. So not to say that they're bad options when they do play, but it's that. Not knowing that they're going to play every game, which I just hate. And any of those two options you were going for, uh, Stefan, I'll come back to you on this one. Oh, I agree with you. And I think uh, when I said I didn't want to spend that transfer on a goalkeeper, 4.5 goalkeeper, why would I really spend a transfer on a 4.0 defender, even though he has good potential? He's not going to play every game. And they pretty much know that because he's young and Solskjaer said he can't play every game so it it just doesn't make sense to me to spend that transfer so i stayed off for him and i stayed off for reese james as well although maybe if reese james continued to get those starts which he, he actually got benched right versus everton or yeah was yeah, he yeah. Did, yeah so he just proved to us again that you, you can't trust reese james either so yeah. you, you just have to stay away from those guys who don't get consistent starts it's like with the newbies like uh sadibi who came in for everton oh. I, I know i know, <laughs> oh, I know that you were looking at i showed him. him yeah and <laughs> i was very against it i was like oh, he's gonna lose yeah. his place at some point and but he, he only i think he only got benched once or twice not as often as I thought, but again, it's just that unpredictability. Jeno, did you have Sadibi, did you? Yeah, I, I watched a couple <laughs> of games of him under Ancelotti and thought, mm. yeah, I like the look of that. I like the look of a right back that's bombing forward and seems like a winger. And uh, yeah, then no returns, barely any clean sheets. Yeah. So, yeah. He did get benched three of the last seven games. However, in two of those games, Coleman got injured before the 30-minute mark. Oh, really? So he over 60. But he, oh, okay. he was just as much out of the team as he was in. So yeah, yeah. You were, you were right on that one, James. And the extra, if you paid extra for Digna, it was worth it. Yes, but I just think that those types of players which have just come in or you know, new signings which you know are not nailed, like Fernandez is, or, uh, or even Pepe, he, he's not nailed either. So they're just too much of a risk in FPL and you've got to hit them at the right time. If you do hit them, you've got to get lucky, haven't you? So that's, that is the risk you take. I mean, I'm not saying that they're not completely viable options, but I just don't like going for the likes of them. Um, let's move back on to Mane and Salah then, because 
They were obviously competing at the start of the season. I think Mane beat Salah by 34 points, which I uh, found out last pod. And then towards this period, I think Salah has absolutely annihilated Salah, uh, mm-hmm. Mane by... Oh, no, so it's only 30 points he's beaten him up. But, the, you know, obviously Mane got injured, etc. But it just goes to show that a consistent scorer like Salah will always come to the fore. And Mane has just, for me, has always been like very sporadic and there's just something not trustworthy about him. Jano, what's your opinion on both those two players? If you had to go for one now, which one would you go for? I have been one of those that has changed my mind on these two a lot. Mm. Um, I was, last season, I was Salah all the way. I'm like, I don't see why anyone would really go Mane, even though Mane was cheaper. This season, with them being the same price, having watched the first couple of games of the season, I actually, when I watched the games, thought Mane was more of an accomplished finisher and seemed to be in the right places at the right time. So I actually, for the first half of the season, went Mane. Uh, After initially being on Salah, I quickly changed and transferred. But then, of course, as soon as Mane got injured... Uh, I went to Salah and Salah has been on very good form and now Mane looks like the player that is like you said sporadic but I always get that feeling with Salah as well there's games I watch when I watch Liverpool sometimes Salah's out wide so much and I'm just like I need you in the box I need you around the box the outside of the box to be in the right place to score but he just has a habit of seeming like that kind of player that isn't in the right place. And then he will suddenly pop up in the right place when you're least expecting it yeah. after watching, say, 40 minutes of him thinking he's not going to get anything in this game. And then suddenly he pop up and get a goal, get a second goal at some point. So, I mean, Salah has the pedigree, but I don't know what it is. When I watch them play, I prefer Mane. Yeah. But okay. I... I just can't ignore the stats when the stats are so in Salah's favour. So fortunately, I usually make the call right. But my gut instinct when watching him is I prefer Mane. Okay, fair enough. Stefan, give me your thoughts. Then we'll move on to the stats. Yeah, when we talked about not making fancy moves like transferring a goalkeeper, I think you can argue again for it with Salah and Mane. And especially with Salah, because given a fit Salah, I think you will be very good off just getting him him in and captaining him every game. So, Perma, perma-captain, yeah, could be. Yeah, I think you, you could easily make a mistake by not captaining him a lot of game mix. <clears throat> of course, you can make the exception against Manchester City and stuff like that, maybe Manchester United. But uh, usually he is just too good of a player not to captain. And this season is a bit of an anomaly because he struggled with his injury for quite a while. And if he just remove all the games, he got injured versus Leicester. And he got two points in that game. And he got zero versus United, he didn't play. And then Tottenham, Villa, City, Crystal Palace, Brighton, Everton, where he was out of the team, in of the team. And if you just have removed him for that period and captain him for each and every game week the rest of the time I think he would have done pretty good so yeah, uh, at yeah. least me I've I, I made a mistake by trying to be fancy with Salah in Salah out Salah not captain captain someone else uh, like this last game we captain Aubameyang hmm. the last game week 29 of course a bit unfortunate but I, I think uh, Salah is just too good of a player not to own and too good of a player not to captain really, in, in basically each and every game. Yeah, I agree with that. Obviously, we've seen that he's the top point scorer. We're getting over 300 points in season 2017-2018. This season, he's currently the top point scorer. And I think last season, 
Did, was he the top point scorer last season? I can't remember if he was or not, but he was definitely up there. 259 points he scored in the end last season. Uh, so that kind of moves us on to the stats then. So what volume of stats were a sure sign of future FPL points? So just going to list who actually came top during this period from game week 15 to game week 29. So top of the strikers was Dominic Cavett-Lewin, along with Jimenez, Ings, Abamyang, Dini, Firmino, Jesus was up there with Wood, Ayu, uh, Jota and Vardy. So there's a lot of names which you don't in- expect to be in that list through that period of the season. Just going to list the midfielders now. So Salah obviously top, De Bruyne second, Mane third, Martial was fourth, Ali was fifth, Richarlson, Barnes, Saar, Mares, William, Grealish and Decore. So the midfielders are kind of where you think they should be. But what about those strikers then? A lot of mid-priced mm. strikers involved there. Um, Jano, what, what are your thoughts on those top three? Cabot-Lewin, Jimenez and Ings. Did you think that they were going to become likes of Aguero and or Bamiang, etc.? Well, I mean, if you're asking if I thought that before those game weeks started, then of course, no, I didn't. <laughs> um but the thing is, for me, if a striker is showing any sort of form, a budget striker, that rivals your more expensive options, then I generally kind of tend, to, especially with forwards, start to lean to them a bit more, purely because value. the cost of them, yeah, value compared to the points you're getting. So I actually was one that got on Calvert-Lewin quite early. Ings, I wasn't as early on. I kind of got him right near the end of his uh, purple patch. But... Calvert-Lewin was someone that, as soon as I saw him playing in that Ancelotti side, and I looked at the numbers he was putting up, is someone I definitely was considering. So I wouldn't say I would have predicted that list entirely, but there was definitely the possibility for budget strikers to kind of turn up and perform. And I think most seasons that I've played anyway, uh, you do get one or two budget strikers that can, especially value-wise, uh, if you take their price into account, match those more expensive options for points. So I'm not too surprised. I just probably wouldn't have got that list correct if I was trying to predict it. Mm, yeah. Stefan, your thoughts? Well, it, it brings me back maybe to my last point, looking at this, uh, how the players went, did, did from game 15 and onwards. And you, you wonder, like a guy like Vardy, it was hard not to own him given his form. But like Aubameyang and maybe also Vardy, Rashford was good, Firmino was good, Aguero had this great game against Aston Villa. But still, if you're not captaining these guys each and every week, or at least often, it's it's tough not to see how you get better value out of the cheaper guys. Like uh, like you said, uh, Jimenez can do do well, Danny Ings can do well, and even a guy like uh, Jordan Ayew has done very well lately. And mm. he's, he's uh, right up there along Eastwood and Calvert-Lewin. So... And is it, it's like the sneaky player, because when you look at how Jimenez has gotten his points, gaming 15, it doesn't seem too impressive. He has like 2 points, 5 points, 7 points, 2 points, 13, 8, 2, 2, 5. But when you look at the total for the season, he's 5 points behind Aubameyang. Yeah. And he's like maybe the most quality striker of everyone and the most reliable guy. And even though it doesn't look impressive to get five points against Burnley or get an assist here or something there, these things really add up. The good thing about strikers like both Jimenez and also Ings, Pukki, Calvert-Lewin is one goal usually means he gets some bonus. 
So we're, you're going to see some twos, but you're also going to see some nines or eights when you actually does score. I think maybe it's best to just go for the lower value, uh, the lower priced guys in, in this bracket. Yeah, yeah. Well, something which I noticed on, on this particular is that last week we mentioned about all the stats and how shots on target, who was top, Vardy was top between game weeks 1 and 15 with 23 shots on target and he was top for points as well. And then you look at Abraham, he was like second, Pookie was third and then again they were right up there for actual FPL points. And so if you look at the shots on target, and then I thought, I'll, I'll take a look at it this week as well, and shots on target for that period is actually 24 for Calvert-Lewin. He's top for FPL points, along with Salah, top as well, 24. Jesus on 22, more pay 21. So it does, it shows that shots on target really is the distinguished stat which gets you FPL points because big chances, if you look back at game weeks 1 to 15, big chances you had the likes of Wood on 17 big chances, but he wasn't really up there at all for FPL points. And then if you look at the big chances here, Firmino was on 14. Numbers for big chances don't necessarily lead to FPL points as much as shots on target do. So I think next season I'm going to look at this as... Whoever's producing the most shots on target by game week six, I'm really going to look at those players a little bit more than I used to because I used to just look at it as shots. Who's getting into the box? Who's getting into those those shots in the box and total amount of shots that I could bring into my team? But now I think I'm going to look at it a little bit different, try and focus a little bit more on shots on target. Well, no, I've got to agree because like, when I saw the question at the top of the headline... I was looking at it and going, well, how do I actually go and pick out my strikers? Because yeah. I think that's where this uh, shots inside box, shots on target, so on is most relevant. And I I used to, when I first started playing, just look at shots. Okay, who's had the most shots? And then start from there. But I've found this season, especially when my form started to improve myself, I'd started just focusing on shots on target because I was like, well, look, you can have all the shots in the world, but yeah. if they're not on target, they're never going in. So is it really that important a metric by itself? Uh, of course, it does give you an idea of who is getting chances, but if you give a certain player a lot of shots and then you give Salah a lot of shots, Salah's probably going to do better. Yeah. So I thought shots on target is important, and then I kind of expect a certain return on big chances and big chances scored compared to the shots on target. So if they're getting lots of shots on target, and I, I hope for at least an average of three a game-ish, then if 30% of those shots are big chances as well, of course, the higher the better, then I'm looking at a player that is likely to be scoring goals. And then, of course, you can always check how many of those big chances they score as well. So I think shots on target for me is definitely the metric to be looking for. And I'd even say for midfielders as well, over assists just because of the uh, points difference. And then, of course, if there are players that are similar, you can always pick the one that has better chance creation over the other one if they're very similar with shots on target. Yeah, great points, great points. I, I also think that looking at a player with um, shot accuracy, if they've got good shot accuracy and they're playing regular 90 minutes, then they are going to be in, in and amongst the points no matter what. I'm just looking at over the season, shot accuracy 
obviously, who's going to be near the top? It's going to be Vardy. He seems to nearly always get his shots on target. Just looking down the list, there's the likes of Greenwoods in there, Dini, Jesus, Giroud is in there. But you don't see like the regular strikers. You just see Haller's in there, actually. Uh, <laughs> you see a lot of uh, sub-strikers like Origi and Isaac's success, apparently, and Vidra got to kind of know how many minutes are actually getting these players and whether or not they're going to be worth looking at. But I do think shot accuracy is one that I do want to kind of concentrate on a little bit more next season as well. Stefan? Well, for me, I go about this in a, not using the stats as a first uh, metric. I, I think it's such a small player pool of guys you really actually consider as your striker. So, so my strategy is mostly just watch the games and make myself some notes about the players. And of course, if you scratch everyone, everybody who's not as sure to start and not sure to play a lot of minutes, you don't have too many to pick from it at the end. And I'll go about it like uh, you can say you mentioned Mope who had a lot of shots on target, but he just seems to to want to shoot from pretty much anywhere. And that doesn't really help me. And it's something when you watch the games and you imagine yourself, okay, if I didn't own Mopé at this point, would I really be scared of him scoring a brace this game? Would I really be scared of him scoring? Strikers will always score goals. It's just uh, that um, McGoldrick, he doesn't score. But the rest of them, they score (laughs) a goal. So everyone is going to turn up sometimes. But for me, it's it's more important to look at, say, when you watch Jimenez play, you just get to feel that this guy is involved in everything. Every single thing he does is good. Everything, everything he does, just he's he's involved in everything. Whereas Obama Young on the other side, you can see okay, he drifts a bit too far out wide. He maybe doesn't want to go in the box as much. It doesn't look like he will he will shoot all the time. So I use those kind of things as well. And then of course fact check my uh, insanity by some using some stats or some algorithms and just hmm. see. Yeah, this is the guy I would like to pick. Does the algorithms or the stats say that I'm insane going for this guy? And if the answer is no, I think I'm more likely to just bring him in. That approach would leave me with guys like Ings, of course. He also looks to be involved in everything for Southampton. Tammy Abraham, when he's fit, and even though he hasn't done too well lately, he's also the kind of guy who starts every game and he, he looks to be involved in everything. He's still just standing there in front of goal, and he will get goals uh, no matter what. And Calvert-Lewin, of course, he's another guy that would tick those boxes. He's got the stats, though, Stefan, yeah? So. Yeah, he's got the stats <laughs> also, but as, as did Mope, like you said. Well, yeah, yeah. Mope has been like the anti-Calvert-Lewin for the second half of the season. Whereas, like, Scala for me is the eye test where I go, I don't particularly want him. But then I look at the stats and go, come on. Don't be stupid. Come on, Jeremy. Like, Come yeah. on. <laughs> so, so the, uh, the thing is, the thing is, uh, Salah has anchored us to believe he's everything he was in his first season, and we expect like a brace each game. And even though he gets like one goal every other game, he's still a good pick. So I think it's easy to for, just leave it behind how great he was that 300 point season. Yeah. So this is this is why it's great having you on. I'm all for the stats. And you just try and rein me back in and just say, <laughs> no, it's all about looking at an eye test. But it's always going to be a mixture of the two. I just enjoy yeah. looking at the facts and trying to work out the puzzles, whereas it's not always that easy. Right. Let, let's, let's move it on to the defenders and keepers then so 
I'm going to list the top defenders during this period. They were obviously TAA, it's more or less a Liverpool back four. TAA, Van Dyke, Robertson, Gomez. Uh, so then it's Doherty, Fernandez from Newcastle, Baldock, Maguire, Stevens, Wambasaka, Aspilaqueta, Stevens again, Evans and Lundstrom. Uh, the top keepers were Allison, Greater, Pope, Dubravka, Henderson, Foster, Patricio, McCarthy, Leno, Schmeichel, De Gea and Pickford. So, I had a look at the stats based on this and just looking back at game weeks 1 to 15, you could see that Leicester was bottom for XGC, Liverpool's obviously second bottom and then Man City third and then Chelsea. So I look at it from game weeks 15 to 20 and bottom, when I say bottom, it's more or less top because you've got the lowest XGC, but Man City were actually bottom there, but they just never kept a clean sheet. This is where the eye test comes into it, and they just give away a stupid goal. Liverpool were then second again. This is why they had more or less their whole back five in the top uh, point scorers for keepers and defenders. Then it's Chelsea, Sheffield United, and Man United and Wolves. So there is easy comparison there to the teams and how well they're doing on the stats and who's actually going to score well. I know obviously we've got TAA who's like a assist magician and Van Dyke scores when he wants also Robertson again assisting but Gomez didn't get any assists I don't think and any goals but he's right up there so defenders do boil down mostly to the clean sheets that they're keeping. Well, no, you've got a completely valid point with Gomez because the fact that he got 70 points and that's only two less than Robertson. And we look at what Robertson provides going forward and what Gomez provides going forward. So there's Gomez, if you picked him, that was a great value pick compared to the rest of the Liverpool defence. Yeah. Except if you didn't have TAA. If you don't have TAA, I'm not sure you're playing the game right. <laughs> but other than that... I don't have TAA. Um, I never have. <laughs> Really? Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> had this last week as well. Yeah, this wow. mock the Iceman there too. Way, really. <laughs> okay. For someone that likes to look at the stats, yeah, you're looking yeah. at it properly. <sighs> I had the exact same uh, reaction, Jay and all. Just the same. Do you know, I have had my reasons. I mean, they're not valid, but I have had them. <laughs> Car- carry on, sorry. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I- I'm gonna be completely honest I'm a sucker for attacking returns from a defender so what I will generally do is I'll look at the teams I think are likely to be able to get clean sheets and then try and pick the ones that are the most attacking so of course for me when Wolves have a decent run of fixtures someone like Doherty really appeals to me because of his potential for attacking returns um, as far as goalkeepers, I've already made it very clear how I'll go with goalkeepers. So I'm going to pick one. And unless there's like a six, seven game week period where they're really doing nothing for me, I'll probably stick with them. So, but I just can't believe you've flabbergasted me with not having TAA. <laughs> I do you know, I need to explain myself now. So start of the season, I didn't have him because I thought it would get rotated occasionally. So I went with Robbo and Van Dyke. Then I had the opportunity to bring him in on wildcard. I went without any Liverpool because they had like a blank game week. And then I decided I would get them in from then. Then I couldn't afford him. So I brought in Van Dyke and then I've just kind of settled with Van Dyke ever since then and not really <laughs> moved to him. So yeah, that's I mean, at least he got the second excuse. highest scoring defender from Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, during that period, yeah. Good, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well done, me. He was only 20 points behind him. Yeah, it's it yeah. better than Robbo, so, yeah. you know. <laughs> Stefan, what are your thoughts on uh, the defenders and the stats and things? 
Well, I think the Liverpool defense is pretty much covered, but I think the interesting thing about City, as you mentioned, and the eye test again, it's like when you watch Otomendi play defense, you just know this isn't going to end well. <laughs> and another thing I found interesting was that Manchester City are the kings of tactical fouls. They usually just take those yellow cards to stop the counterattacks. Yeah. And yeah. The, the king of the kings for me is has always been Fernandinho. He's like taking so many annoying yellow cards, or stopped so many annoying attacks from me as a Liverpool supporter when Liverpool were chasing them, for example, last season. But now, as, as, he, been, as he has been playing central defender, he, he can't really do those kind of... No, he's the last stops. ditch, so he, yeah. Yeah, he's really getting sent, sent yeah. off, so maybe that has something to play in it. Yeah. But I think, other than that, I think I also like... Um, the potential attacking return from a defender and Gomez he all he almost got as much points as Robertson but at the same time Robertson had a lot of chances to both score and assist during those games so I think you you're a bit lucky that Robertson didn't get more points uh, than Gomez than he did so I think uh, it's and it's maybe something about enjoying the game as well uh, sitting there and let's say Wolverhampton is a great clean sheet team as they are they are pretty good clean sheet team and next season every defender is priced at yeah. say 5 million plus except yeah. Connor Cody he's priced at 4.5 is then Connor Cody just get him in and let him play each game or do you pay that 0.5 extra for the potential of an attacking return Connor Cody has never crossed the halfway line or something he, just, <laughs> he never he just stays back there all yeah, game true, yeah. every time so I think that's a tough one because you not having your guy up on corners, not having your guy actually entering the attacking third, it, it just doesn't seem tempting to me. Yeah, I think I agree. It's one of those, if you've got the 4.5 to spend, then yeah, if they've got good fixtures type of thing, and then you, you stick him in. But I guess we'll wait and see for next season if that ever comes. Right, let's move on. We were going to talk about patterns and kind of go through the fixtures, but I kind of went through Stefan's planner, checked for four or more red fixtures, and I could only find, I think it was Arsenal, Everton were the only teams in, in that particular planner, which only had four red fixtures. So, yeah. I think Sheffield United, Sheffield United had some horrible fixtures around Christmas time where they faced... City away, Liverpool away, then West Ham, and then Arsenal away, and City at home. So they had some real tough, uh, yeah. real tough. The, the problem is we're, we're dealing with fifteen game weeks. We're not. We're looking at yeah. it as a, a whole, and there's always going to be bad fixtures. Maybe Chelsea had some good ones actually, but yeah. I think it's more more interesting to see uh, teams like Bournemouth, which had the great fixtures from game week eighteen onwards for a long stretch, and how little ah, they yeah. did of it. Yeah, true. And like, yeah. I think uh, a lot of people got caught up with <laughs> trying to do something with Bournemouth. Like, Alan Wilson was supposed to be a good player, <laughs> and he should should really return something. And the same with Brighton; they also have great had great fixtures for pretty much the whole stretch, game week sixteen until game week twenty nine, and they didn't do much either. Yeah, Chelsea as well; they had a good run. Yeah. They, they only had a couple of red fixtures in there, but yeah. Uh, Wilfred Saha, Palace, Palace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's more a tale of teams. Maybe 
the fixture ticker has fooled us a bit this uh, second half of the season because the teams that were supposed to enter a good stretch and deliver some points didn't necessarily do so. Yeah, I've always been a fixtures type of player and I have to change my game for next year now because it's just not working out as it was before. So I feel like that my concentrating on those fixtures has just not worked at all and I do think it's all about the form and the better players. What are your thoughts on that, Jenny? Form and fixtures. Well, I think there's there's certain areas where you can't blame yourself for looking at the fixtures and going for it. For instance, Chelsea. If you looked at Chelsea and thought, you know what, that's a pretty good run, and you brought in some Chelsea players, then I can't really knock you for that. But the way I've been looking at teams like Bournemouth and Brighton, just yes, I saw the fixtures and thought, okay, maybe I should look at some options from them. And then I looked at them and I was just like, there is nothing that stands out in either of these sides yeah. that makes me want to... Like, I, I flirted with the likes of Trossard, um, but just I couldn't pull the trigger because I was like, there's better options elf, elsewhere. And even though there might be tough fixtures here and there, every team in a long period of fixtures is going to be uh, having a decent run at some point. And it's just like... If they don't perform, am I going to be very trigger happy in pulling them out the side? And if I bring in a Bournemouth player and he doesn't return for me in the first one or two game weeks, I'm going to be very likely to think I need to sw- switch this player with someone else. So, yeah, I can't blame people for looking at the fixtures, but I think it's important to look at the side with the good fixtures and go, is there actually anyone I want here? And if yeah. there isn't, then I'd ignore it. Yeah, it's a good point. And it's... Uh... Brings back also, we have few free transfers during a season. They are pretty precious. So spending those on Trossard and Dunk and Callum Wilson in and out, in and out, it may not be the best recipe. So I agree with you. Yeah, great points there, guys. Yep. Let's come move us on to the dream team for 15 to 29. So, Stefan, who were the dream team players for 15 to 29? It's going to be a lot of Liverpool guys in here, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the dream team in goal, it was Alisson and Guaita. Imagine no Pope. That's a strange one. Yeah, Guaita outperforming. I think Pope and Guaita were on similar points. I think it might have been a very small difference. But well, yeah, Guaita's just alphabetical order. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. And then you had the Liverpool back four in the TAA, Robo, Van Dijk and Gomez. Gomez and was in there, midfield. but for for this particular dream team, we're only going to list Okay, three, okay, right? okay. Yeah. So we, yeah, so the three top dogs and in midfield for Salah, De Bruyne, Mane, and Martial. Martial in there is a yeah. at up top, DCL, Jimmy, and Ings, which so, proves the point that going cheap in attack maybe is the way we should play this game. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I saw from that, is that those cheap strikers, like you were saying earlier, Jay, you know, the value, when it's there, they you know, sometimes even are the best options as well. So, obviously, in midfield, uh, it's a bit pricey in Salah, KDB, Mane and Martial. But if you look at that team as a whole, you can maybe skimp a little bit on the defence, but you could almost afford most of that. Yeah, and I think Martial's only really there because of Bruno. He did, he did. He played well towards... The, there were periods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Martial was was great during Christmas as well when yeah. he played with uh, was Rashford. That the, yeah, and then Rashford think, got injured, and then it kind of yeah. fell off, didn't it? Yeah, and then he came back with uh, Bruno. So I think Martial has been he's been sneaky good all season, given that he's not been too expensive. Yeah. Okay, let, let's move it on to the questions. 
We had one here from Mad Hatter from our Slack channel. He's saying, which players are you guys looking to get in if this season plays out? City players are a must with good fixtures and extra game or rotation putting you off. He's also put, also with football suspended and Corona on everyone's mind right now. Is it me that's realised how much I bloody love touching my own face? That is true. I actually noticed that I touch my face quite a lot and I really shouldn't. Um, Guess what I'm doing? right now touching your face you're leaning on your face aren't you yeah that's what i do as well yeah it's constantly touching your face you do you when you think about it you think wow i just did this so much i'm never gonna never gonna not if do you, it if you stay if you if you stay at home for three days straight you can touch your face as much as you want <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't, don't. a bit, bit of advice is put red chili and rub that all over your hands then you won't touch your face <laughs> Yeah. So, what about those questions then? I'll come to you first, Stefan. I know you're not thinking that the Premier League is going to come back, but what, what are your thoughts on your players at the moment? And have, have you any thoughts on your players at the moment and your transfers? No, I'm pretty much still stuck with my uh, wildcard team, which saw only... Your bogus wildcard. Yeah, I lacked five players for my the second game, which got called off, and I, I think I've done one transfer. Yeah, I transferred out my punt in Pepe for Bruno Fernandes, and that's everything I've done. But um, as I said, I wouldn't be surprised if this FPL season is finished at this current point but of course I think the the actual Premier League season will finish in some way or, or another at some point but uh, I'm not sure about the FPL we'll uh, see but uh, we'll I, see. I, might, I might do some transfers I might do some transfers down the line but it's impossible to say anything because at this point we might even get like 5 game week uh, 37 and a 5 game week 5 game week 38 like a quintop or if, something even if it does get towards the last 3 game weeks like 36 37 38 then we've got you know, people have got wild cards and free hits as well, so it's almost you're almost reluctant to think about it. Jeno, have you been thinking about it at all? I mean, my initial plan was, of course, to go work around the double game weeks. So I've got all my chips left and the wild card. Yeah. Um. So I was mainly looking at Wolves, making sure I had the right two Wolves players. I had a Darmatriori, unfortunately. Um. So I needed to change him to either Yotta or uh, Jimenez. And then, of course, I was looking at Leicester, hoping that they might turn it around with the idea of Champs League to play for. Um, Bruno Fernandes was a must to be brought in at some point. Other than that, with the City question, I was tempted to just avoid City because I was thinking they might focus more on the Champs League uh, rotation and just... Apart from KDB, there wasn't really anyone that I was too fussed about owning. With Bruno Fernandes coming to the forefront, I was a bit like, do I have to have KDB? Which I know would be a big risk to go without, but I was tempted to go there. But like you said, with us not knowing how the season may end now, uh, it could possibly be that I'm forced into playing all my chips in the last couple of game weeks of the season. And all my plans right now are pretty much pointless because we don't know how they're going to end it if they do continue FPL. Yeah, see, I, I thought about it as well and I had transfers, so I was going to make one just for the sake of it, just because it's almost a little bit fun making a transfer. Yeah, I was looking at the teams with good fixtures towards the end of the season, Man United, Wolves, Man City, Spurs, Burnley, Liverpool, Chelsea, all teams which I've looked at. I also looked at the teams with 10 games as opposed to the rest who only have nine. They are the teams of Aston Villa, didn't really want anyone from then apart from Grealish Sheffield United Arsenal and Man City so I did think about it quite a bit and then I missed the deadline so 
I've I've wasted the transfer. Oh, did you? Oh, good for you. That's literally all I've done since. Yeah, I I was tempted on doing that as well, but I couldn't quite afford it. I needed to use both transfers, and I was like, I couldn't work out who I wanted to remove, and then I just didn't do anything and forgot. So I'm almost like, oh, well, never mind. I've probably got chips to play anyway, so I'm not going to overthink it at all. I guess the thing to do if you really want to do something that's optimal for the situation at this point, it would be to bring in players that have the most amount of games left. Like bring in Sheffield United, Defenders, Henderson and Goal, bring in Aston Villa, Grealish, just bring in everyone who has more games left than the rest of them because all the games will have to be played eventually. And if the game keeps up with the season somehow, uh, it's best to just get those guys in. Yeah. Good points. I think we're going to leave it for there. Not, uh, we won't go over to the other questions. Apologies, guys, but we've recorded an hour so far and we've still got the quiz to go. So we'll look forward to that. So I'm going to whip off for the Iceman's Piss Break. Be right back as soon as I can pause the pod. There we go. Okay, and welcome back from the Iceman's Piss Break. We're going to have the Iceman's Quiz again. Last week, everyone enjoyed that. Everyone was messaging me, emailing me, Facebooking me, tweeting me, saying how much they enjoyed that. So we're going to do it again. We're going to do through the game weeks 15 to 29. So, Jano and Stefan, are you ready for this? No. Yes. Are you excited? <laughs> you see Sam both so excited. That I'm, I'm just- terrified. Just in case Edward hasn't heard me on this before, I am very negative about this quiz. I love it, don't you? Unless I win it. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Unless I win it. Which you did. Yeah, which you did at the end of last season. I know, I just wanted someone to mention that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And Stefan's lost every quiz that he's contributed in. Well done. Right, let's get to question number one then. So... As again last week, we all know who got the most crosses of the ball through the period 1 to 15. It was TAA and second was De Bruyne was the answer to last week's question. But who had the second most amount of crosses from game weeks 15 to 29? So Jano, I'm going to come to you first. Andrew Robertson. And Stefan. Uh, and Chilwell. Ben Chilwell, good shout, but nowhere near. <laughs> the the answer is a surprising one, but from game weeks 15 to 29, obviously Alexander-Arnold again was topped by just a stupid amount, uh, but it was Ward-Prowse from Southampton, was second. Then it was De Bruyne, then Montinho, so neither of your players that you shouted there were in the top I should have eight. said Montinho. Yeah, I literally was looking at him at a period in the game weeks. Like, some well, you wouldn't have got it right either period. way. So, yeah. well, no, uh, so I'd no- have been more impressed with myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, no points for either there. So, question two was uh, last week again: which team created the least amount of big chances? And last week it was Crystal Palace, followed by Newcastle, Norwich, Watford, West Ham, and Arsenal. And for game weeks fifteen to twenty-nine, Stefan, which team created the least amount of big chances? Yeah, I'm just going to go by my disappointment in Morpé here and say Brighton. You're going to go with Brighton and Jano? 
Why not? Because it's me, West Ham. West Ham. <laughs> and you're both, in, <laughs> you're both incorrect again. It's actually Aston Villa on 17. Crystal Palace, Norwich, Newcastle, Bournemouth, then West Ham, then Brighton. So, again, <laughs> you're nowhere near. Not very good at this, are you? This is going well. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Grealish was like essential at one point, I think. Mm. Uh, it's surprising they didn't get any big chances. Yeah, true, true. Right, question, question number three was who won the most aerial duels? And last week it was Halla on 88. And then it was Van Dyke, Joel Linton, Tarkovsky, me, O'Connell and Maguire. So who was it from game weeks 15 to 29? So Jane, we're going to come back to you first. Oh, God. Uh, ben Teke. Ben Teke and <laughs> didn't really play much, but yeah, great chat. Uh, <laughs> and Stefan? Yeah. I'm going to try to get a point and go Van Dyke. Van Dyke. He was actually one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He was actually 10th ah. on this list. It was possible. It was Deeney followed by Haller, then McBurney was in there, then Shane Long, and then Calvert Lewin, then Tarkovsky, Maguire, Joel Linton. Howls. Keep going until you get to Ben Tucker. Howls and Van Dyke. So, so you're telling me that the attackers wins more aerial duels than the defenders? Techers? Uh, Techers wasn't even in there. I don't know where Techers was. I could find out. <laughs> I'm not going to, but I could. <clears throat> so no points there. So you're both doing really well. Question four. So question four, which team had the highest shot? Accuracy. So last week it was West Ham that was the highest. Then it was Villa, probably because they've not they've not shot very much. Don't then, shoot that often. Yeah. <laughs> then, then it was Liverpool. Then Man United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Leicester. So who was it from game weeks fifteen to twenty nine, Stefan? I'm gonna go with Everton and Jenny Wolves. They're both incorrect again, doing really well with this quiz. Again, so it was actually a repeat of the of um, Game Weeks 1 to 15. It was West Ham. Uh, we're top on 40.5%. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then it was Man United, Leicester, Tottenham, Liverpool, Man City. So, yeah, no points again. Okay, question number five. So who had the most yellow cards from Game Weeks 1 to 15? And it was Lerma and Milivojevic on seven. So from Game Weeks 15 to 29. So I've forgotten who was first. Stefan? I think I was first. You were, you were first. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, okay. Jano? Oh, oh. oh. I just want to buy myself some time. <laughs> okay, we'll go, we'll go with Jano anyway. Jano? Oh, why? Uh, Ottomendi. Uh, okay, and Stefan? There are three players all on the same amount at the top. Okay, so okay, that gives me a bit better chance. So, <laughs> I'll, go so, so I'll go for Lerma again. Then he, he's just card magnet. Ah, they're incorrect again. So the <laughs> but all on five yellow cards were Cathcart, um, West Ham's Cresswell, and Burnley's Me. So again, no points there. An exciting quiz. Just keep on your yeah. seats, people. <laughs> keep on your seats. Question so number. The time I haven't seen <laughs> West Ham is when it's West Ham. Question number six: Which team had the most attempts from set players? So from one to fifteen, it was Everton on seventy-seven. Then it was Chelsea, Southampton, Brighton, Leicester, Wolves. So what about from game weeks fifteen to twenty-nine, Stefan? I'll go with Liverpool. And Jenna? 
for symmetry and the fact that they were top before Everton. Wait! Finally got a question right. Everton were top. So one point oh, wow. to JNA. Oh, wow. not breaking Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the funny thing was, which I noticed from this, is they, they had 77 attempts from set plays from Game Weeks 1 to 15. And from Game Weeks 15 to 29, they had 77 attempts from set plays. Nice. So exactly the same. That which works is, for me. Yep, one point to DNA. <laughs> yeah, true. Getting back in, getting some more crosses. Right, so question number seven. Which player had the most bad touches from Game Weeks 1 to 15? It was Joel Linton, followed by Zaha, Mane and Josh King. What about from Game Weeks 15 to 29? J&O. St. Maximin. Good shout. I'll go, I'll go Martial. Uh, both incorrect. They're not even on the top ten. Again, well, then it, what's a good shout? Because I thought it was, I thought it was a great shout. <laughs> <laughs> so it, again, it was Joe Linton again. Top. Oh, I was so close to Paul Bolton. This, this quiz, I, I refuse. This quiz is just like we, we're supposed to just name the same <laughs> guy. You just got to get. You just got to get it right. There's, there's only. There's not that many. That it's are, like any other same. quiz, to be fair. <laughs> just so, get the question right, you get a point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It seems so boring to just answer. What did you say first, James? Okay, Jolin. <laughs> so well, it was yeah, it was Joel Linton, Zaha, and Callum Wilson was third, along with Calvert Lewin as well. Right, question number eight. I'll give you a clue here. It's not the same team. <laughs> right, so which team had the most fouls? Uh, so in game week one to fifteen, it was Everton on one hundred and eighty. Uh, so what about from 15 to 29? And I'll give you the number. It's 200 fouls that they actually conceded. So, Stefan, who was that team? I go for Burnley. And Jenner. Who, who am I not meant to say? Who was <laughs> if, if, you, say? if you can't remember, mate, I can't help you. <laughs> uh, Bournemouth. And you're both incorrect again. It was oh. Southampton was up there. And then it goes down the list is Watford, Everton, Villa, Chelsea, then Burnley. Man United, Leicester, Arsenal, Newcastle, Man City, Tottenham, Crystal Palace. Bournemouth's not even in the top 10. Right, question number nine. Now, this is to bring it back, Stefan. So you can do this. I believe in you. <laughs> Who had the most <laughs> saves? So from game week one to 15, it was Leno was top. Then it was Matt Ryan, Dubravka, Krull, Ram, uh, Ramsdale. So who had the most saves from game weeks 15 to 29? I think JNO is first. Oh, damn it. <laughs> um, Geiter. But I think okay, I might know who is. And Stefan? Pope. You're going for Pope. And you Can both... I have a second guess that doesn't count towards a point if we're both wrong? Go on then, go on then. McCarthy? Again, you're both wrong, and Jenna's wrong for a second time, because it was... <laughs> that doesn't take the point off. <laughs> it was Dubravka right at the top then, <sighs> then Goyeta, then Ramsdale, then McCarthy, then Leno, uh, then Schmeichel, then Pope, so yeah, nowhere near. So... JNO wins the quiz again. Well done, JNO. You win absolutely nothing. Except all. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was still on zero, zero right from. Yeah, yeah, do it consistent, right. consistent. It's like you're, you're Jimenez. I think you should get like another person in for me at just this segment. Just for the quiz section. Yeah, it'll probably make it <laughs> yeah. a little bit more interesting. I, yeah. I'll have a stand in next time. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, true. Okay, let's move it on then. So a word from our Patreon Mad Hatter with Alexa's Afterthoughts. Alexa, how are you coping? I'm just Dandy Mad Hatter. Wish I could say the same for you humans. I see you've run out of toilet paper and begun using old newspapers. The times are rough. Last week has seen sport binned, gatherings banned, and pubs shut. Although, Weatherspoons aren't closing until Thursday to give their customers chance to get back from the shitter. People are panic buying, loading up on so much bog roll you could wrap it round the circumference of Maguire's head. Twice. Seriously though, too many people aren't listening to government advice. If you don't isolate as much as humanly possible, then you're part of a huge problem in fighting this pandemic. Remember, the worst is yet to come. Jehovah's Witnesses know you're all at home. Up the pod. <clears throat> yes, up the pod. <laughs> Quite. Yeah, see, listen to Alexa. She knows her stuff. She knows her stuff. So, gonna thank JNO for coming on as ever. You've been great to have on. Are you still producing stuff on your uh, channel at the moment? Still producing content? Yeah, so trying to. Uh, asked what the uh, subscribers wanted to see, and it was unanimous football news and like coverage of what's going to happen with the Premier League and all that stuff. So as soon as I get enough news, there will be videos out. I'm hoping for maybe twice a week. And also with the Wildcats, we're planning on just doing some stuff to entertain people. We've got a pub quiz planned soon. So that should be a bit of fun. I'm sure there'll be an FPL uh, part of that. And then we're planning on doing some gaming as well, just so everyone's indoors. Why not come and watch us? So yeah, that's what I'm pretty much doing over this period. That's on FPL... FPL today and Wildcats. FPL today and FPL Wildcats, yes. Yeah, on YouTube, if you want to look into that, just search on YouTube. Great stuff there. Thank you again for coming on. Been great. And um, next week, I'm not sure what we're doing. I have uh, spoken to our Patreon, Jeff, who said he may come on. Uh, I'm not sure whether we're going to do that or not. But uh, if you like what you heard today, would like to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash FPL surgery, but we're not actually charging at the moment, so it's free, so you may as well do it. Uh, and if you want to join the league, it's CCCJK2. Check out our website, fplsurgery.com. We're on Facebook, SoundCloud, Reddit, Twitter at FPL surgery. And if you want to email me, it's info at fplsurgery.com. Stay safe, people. Look after yourselves and don't leave your home. And Stefan? Up the pod, James. Up the pod, Stefan. Jano, come on, you're a regular. Get, what are you doing? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Up the pod. There we go. Bloody hell. I what, didn't know if you wanted what, to. What? Uh, just come on. You've been on it so many times. I thought I'd said my bit. Uh, no, it's okay. I forgive you. <laughs>